This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 93. Hi, I'm Jared Easley, author of Podcasting Good to Great, How to Grow Your Audience Through Collaboration. And you're about to enjoy one of my favorite podcasts. It's the Read to Lead podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown. The reason some people never continue growing, Jeff, is because they don't want to look incompetent. They don't want to seem like they don't know what they're doing, so they don't want to try new things. But that's exactly how we continue growing. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hello and welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth where we sit down with another successful and inspiring business book or nonfiction author and we talk about their latest book and their unique insights on things like leadership, productivity, personal development, career, marketing, business, and entrepreneurship. Now, in today's episode, you and I are going to be joined by Todd Henry, author of Louder Than Words, Harness the Power of Your Authentic Voice. I plan to ask Todd about the three things we must cultivate in order to develop our authentic voice, why just follow your gut and do what you love are really myths, the meaning behind the four phases of growth we experience on the road to finding our authentic voice, and plenty more. Todd is offering a number of bonuses to you if you choose to pre-order his book due out August 11th, 2015. If you order it before then, you'll get actionable worksheets, be a part of a nine-week book club. You'll have the ability to take part in any one or all of five live events, including developing your voice, how to gain focus, how to write a book, the basics of a study plan or note system, and leading creative teams, plus an autographed copy of Louder Than Words that he'll sign and write a message especially for you. And he says he may even throw in something a little extra. All that for you when you pre-order the book before Tuesday, August 11th, 2015. Todd has even created a special page on his website just for you. Go to toddhenry.com slash rts. L for read to lead. That's toddhenry.com slash RTL. I've just recently returned from the second annual podcast movement conference happening in Fort Worth, Texas. And I want to say congratulations to Pat Flynn of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. The Read to Lead podcast was nominated along with Pat for best business podcast of the year. Pat, though, ended up the eventual winner of the award. So congratulations to him. Todd will join us in just a moment. In the meantime, Read to Lead is supported by SoFi, a leading marketplace lender. You could save thousands when you refinance your federal and private student loans at lower rates with SoFi. As a Read to Lead listener, you can take advantage of a special $200 welcome bonus when you do that. Go to SOFI.com slash Read to lead. Accelerate your success with a smarter loan. 
Todd Henry, the author of The Accidental Creative and Die Empty, is the founder of Accidental Creative, a company that helps people and teams in many different industries. Through his speaking and workshops, he teaches simple practices that lead to everyday brilliance. Todd, by the way, is also the host of the longtime running podcast, The Accidental Creative. And he's the author of the brand new book, Louder Than Words, Harness the Power of Your Authentic voice. I've been a longtime fan of Todd's books and his podcast, and I don't think I'm overstepping my bounds to say the feeling is kind of mutual, right, Todd? You uh, and a handful of other podcasts I will promote the heck out of when the episode releases because I love the value that you guys deliver on a consistent basis. So I, I don't always uniformly promote every podcast I'm interviewed on, but the ones that I look at, I say, wow, you guys just deliver so much value on a consistent basis. I mean, it is an honor to be on your show. And to, and to promote it. So, wow. Well, I, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just jump right in if it's Great. okay with you so that we have you know proper context for the conversation. What is in, in your mind, Todd, this, this thing you call your authentic voice and, and, and why should developing it for us be a, a top priority? So your voice is how you're known in the world. You know, it's not just what you say, it's how other people receive what you do. And I think so many people are obsessed with what do I want to do? What do I want to experience? What do I want to create? And they fail to realize that it doesn't matter what you want or what you care about if other people don't receive that. If they're not able to connect with what it is that you're trying to do, then your efforts are going to be futile. And so your authentic voice is the, the impression that other people get from your work. And it speaks, you know, as the title of the book says, speaks louder than words. You know, your authentic voice, your collective body of work, your through line, how you vest yourself in your work speaks louder than anything you do or anything you say. And that's why it's really important that we really drill down on that authentic voice and we shape it in such a way that our work will have impact. Attention for your work is not a birthright. You have to earn attention for your work and you have to earn the impact that you achieve over the course of time by honing, sharpening, and developing a voice that resonates in the marketplace. Well, I don't know what it is about me, Todd, and and the number three, but I love it when an author's book is structured such that there are three sections and there's three chapters in each section. Uh, and oftentimes there's there are three concepts, not always, but oftentimes three concepts we need to wrap our head around. For some reason, I just gravitate uh, uh, to mm. that. Uh, we, we have to cultivate uh, three things in order to develop our authentic voice, you say. So talk about identity, vision and, and mastery. Well, I am uh, just quickly before I dive into that, I want to let you know, I'm also really glad that there are only three in this book because for the last one, there were seven. <laughs> That's and right. Every time I go out to talk about it, you know, by the time I get to number five, when I'm giving a, a speech, I'll, I'm, you know, thinking, okay, we're almost through it. Okay. Honestly, people we're almost through it. Right. So I'm really glad there are three with this one. Yeah. So identity, vision, and mastery. These are kind of three core elements that I uncovered as I looked at the lives and the bodies of work of prolific and, and, and really resonant. Um, artists, entrepreneurs, business people, leaders. Um, identity is a sense of who you are and why your work matters. It's it's the a sense of a through line for your work. You know, your work has to be rooted in a strong sense of identity. 
if you want it to resonate, which means you have to vest yourself fully. You have to put skin in the game, right? People have to sense that you really care about what you're doing. Um, but that has to come from a sense of identity. You can't fake that. When we talk about personal branding, often we're really referring to just building a shell around ourselves, an outward <laughs> projection of how we want other people to see us. But people are smart. People can sniff through that. So if you want your work to resonate, you have to root it in a sense of what you really care about and who you really are. Vision then is taking that sense of identity and shaping your work so that it connects deeply with your intended audience. Again, it's one thing to be vested and create work that matters to you personally, but if nobody ever interacts with it because they can't connect with it, then you're not going to have impact. And ultimately, voice is your expression through a medium to achieve an impact. You have to have all three of those things in order to move the needle, right? In order to create uh, the, the kind of value that you want to create. And so vision is a big part of that. You have to shape your work for your intended audience and make sure that they're able to connect with it if you want to have impact. And then finally, once you understand who you are and you understand the impact you want to have and the vision you have for your work, that will then inform what kinds of skills you need to master or what kind of platform you need to master in order to be able to bring that work into the world. And that's what mastery is all about. It's about developing a sense of mastery or ownership over the set of skills and the platform that you need in order to make your work resonate in the world. And identity, vision, mastery, these things all work together over the course of time to create kind of a, a virtuous upward cycle as we develop our voice and develop our sense of the kinds of impact that we want to have in the world. Well, this throws people sometimes, I think, uh, just to be clear, when we talk about mastery, we're not talking about perfection, right? Correct. That's exactly right. So mastery is less about perfection, more about uh, continuous improvement. It's more about failing forward, you know, ensuring that you're doing things, little things, even every single day to get better and better and better and refine your skills and improve your ability to, to bring those ideas into the marketplace. Uh, you, because if you don't have mastery, you, you, you might have identity and vision. If you don't have mastery, you're going to be seen as incompetent and that's not going to achieve impact. So you have to have all three of those working in concert. Well, Todd says that ideas like just follow your gut and, and, and do what you love and everything's going to work out. They, they sound exciting, but they're really myths, myths, easy for me to say, about how an authentic voice is developed. Why do you believe that, Todd? Well, I think that you know, experience has proven that out. I think that when we talk about following your gut and do what you love, we're talking about liking the tasks that we do all day. Yeah, I think when people talk about passion for work, sometimes what they mean when they say, I want to be passionate about my work is, I just want to live in this state of bliss all day. I want to enjoy what I do, enjoy the tasks. I never want to have any friction or conflict. You know, And, and I think that's a very naive and honestly very destructive way of thinking about passion and passion for work. And I think we may have talked about this in our last interview, Jeff, that the word passion is rooted in the word that means to suffer, right? In, in the yeah. original language. I think we have to reclaim that meaning of passion and recognize that if we want to build a body of work that stands the test of time, that is substantive, then we have to be willing to do things we don't want to do so that we can achieve an impact that we love. And that's why when people are saying, well, I don't like my job. I'm not passionate about my job. I don't like my tasks. I'm going to jump to a new job. It, it in many ways, it kind of breaks my heart because I think, wow, have you done everything you can in your current circumstance to maximize the value you're bringing to say, you know, I don't love what I'm doing right now. I don't love the tasks necessarily, but I see how I can bring as much value as possible to the table today. I'm going to bring who I am and, and all of my skills. I'm going to create as much value as I can. I'm going to follow opportunity 
and bring value there as well. And it's funny because as you do that, Jeff, you tend to find opportunities present themselves to work your way into doing more of what it is you're wired to do uniquely. But if you're constantly jumping around looking to be fulfilled all day by the tasks you're doing, it is a dead end street. And I've seen it time and time and time again. I just uh, actually got off of an interview with our mutual friend, Eric Fisher, and I sort of revealed to him, I said, hey, um, I don't love to write. It's not something I like doing, right? I don't enjoy. As a matter of fact, when I sit down to write and I look at my calendar and I have time blocked off for writing every day and I look at my calendar and I see that, I go, okay, here we go. Okay. By the time I'm into it, it's fine. And I, you know, I, I actually like being in the midst of writing, but I don't, it's not something I look forward to, but you know what? I love the outcome of it. And, you know, having written a bunch of books now, I love what happens when I consistently apply myself to the, the effort of writing, because I have an authentic desire it's rooted in authenticity and identity and authentic desire to free people up my intended audience, which is the vision that I have. And in order to do that, I have to become a master of my platform, which means I have to practice my writing. I have to practice getting my message out there. And so, uh, you know, that that's what we I think we have to do is we have to embrace impact, not just liking what we do all day. Well, let's get into now, Todd, some of the uh, the hurdles we have to be prepared uh, to overcome along the way. Chapter two gets into to three specifically, starting with uh, fear, paralysis due to fear. Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is nothing new. I think most people are you know, going to say, well, yeah, of course, fear, <laughs> right? But we're not aware of how fear actually affects us or the way that fear can actually paralyze us. Uh, one of the the stories I tell in this chapter is rooted in a, a, a a story that was given to Lisa Congdon, the great artist. I had a chance to interview her uh, for, for my podcast. And she talked about how one of her art teachers described the creative process as a U shape, right? It's a kind of a U shape. You start on one side of the U and then you go down into the bottom and you come out on the other side of the U. And I thought, you know, that's a lot like hiking down into a canyon. You know, you sort of start out at the top. You can see your objective. Your Everything's really clear. You know exactly where you're going. You can see the other side and you start hiking down. And as you get down deep, into the weeds and the trees and the river and all of that, you start to lose sight of the original objective and you start to question whether you should be doing this at all. You start to become afraid. And then as it starts to get darker and the sun, you know, sets over the, the other side of the, of the Canyon and you're in the shadows and you start to hear, you know, wildlife stirring, you start to think, Oh, maybe I should just turn around and go back. Maybe I shouldn't have done this to begin with. But as you continue to push through the bottom of the canyon, you continue to come up the other side, you start to see your objective again over the tree line. And then pretty soon you're standing on the other side looking back and you say, wow, I can't believe how far I came. And fear almost stopped me. And I think that's what it's like for anyone. Don't let anyone tell you, Jeff, that that isn't what it feels like when they create something new, when they go into new territory. Everybody feels that. It doesn't matter how successful they are. It doesn't matter how much they've accomplished. Every single person person alive feels that when they take on something new. But the key is to not allow fear to paralyze you. Instead, to keep your eye fixed on your objective and to continue pushing forward little by little, you know, moment by moment, little decision by little decision until you eventually reach your objective. Now, many people say, hey, it's much more comfortable on the top of the canyon. I'm just going to stay here. That's fine. If you, that's the life that you choose for yourself, but that's not the path of contributors. Uh, that that gets into uh, the third hurdle you mentioned, right? Inertia. 
Yeah. So inertia is, uh, you know, it's again, like you said, it's, it's really easy just to stay where you are to do what you're comfortable doing. And again, that's one path. And I've seen many people follow this path and those people end up deeply regretting their decision because they've not built their body of work. Instead, they've built somebody else's body of work. They've just gone with the flow. They've followed opportunity when it's in front of them, but they've not really stopped to ask the question, is this really what I want to do? Is this the place that I really want to build my body of work? Is this the platform I want to stand on? Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's really important to not just protect the ground that you've already taken, continue taking new ground because it's so easy once you experience a little bit of success to just circle the wagons and just protect the ground you've taken rather than saying, no, I don't exist on this earth just to be comfortable. I exist on this earth to figure out what is the value that I have to contribute to the world around me. And then every single day to make progress progress on that. Not all at once, but every single day to make consistent measured progress on adding that value. And over time, that adds up into a substantive body of work. I identified with that particular hurdle as I read about it. I've been guilty of that before. And I don't often use foul language, but in the margins of your book, I wrote the words, damn you, Todd. (laughs) (laughs) I will take that as a compliment. That's great. I love inspiring that kind of foul language. That's great. I I mean it totally as a compliment. Well, the other hurdle we didn't talk specifically about, uh, but but related to the first one for sure, false and limiting narratives. And then you divide these into two categories, personal uh, and collective. Talk a bit about uh, personal limiting narratives and, and what you see often as the source of this this kind of narrative. Yeah, we, we live in a culture where I, I think we, we suffer from the curse of peripheral vision. You know, peripheral vision could be useful for, for benchmarking, being able to look left and right as you're, as you're moving forward can be useful for benchmarking, for, uh, learning, for establishing, okay, am I on the right course? Is this the right place for me? How much progress am I making? That's fine. But one of the principles of, you know, running and vision is that you tend to gravitate when you're running toward wherever you're looking. So if you're looking to the side, instead of looking ahead, you'll eventually find that you're running off to the side. You're going to, you're going to get off course. And I think because we are so in with the stories of other people, the ideas of other people. We can look at the career paths of other people and honestly, only the shiny parts typically of other people's <laughs> lives and career paths, you know, through social media. Yeah. It's really easy for us to become distracted by a peripheral vision and to get off course. And, you know, these little narratives start cropping up in our lives like, well, hey, look at what Jeff is doing. You, you know, you should maybe you should be doing what Jeff is doing because he seems to be getting a lot of attention for what he's doing. Or, hey, look at what Jill is doing over there. Maybe you should follow what Jill is doing because she was just named senior vice president. And boy, you know, what would all your friends from high school say if they knew that you were still doing what you're doing right now, you know, instead of being a senior vice president of your organization. And it's really easy to let these little narratives creep in or, you know, uh, hey, if you want to be somebody of substance, you have to be one of those people in the spotlight. You have to be one of those people getting all the attention. You know, these are little limiting narratives that begin to infiltrate our lives and they cause us to act in ways that in many ways, uh, belie the true body of work that we are capable of building, you know? And, and so we get off course over time by chasing these limiting narratives, these narratives that want us to be something that we're not. And this applies personally for sure. You know, what well, one way to counter this is to have somebody in your life that you regularly ask the question, what am I doing that doesn't seem like me? Right. If you have somebody in your life that can, that can answer that question in a true and, and direct way, that's always very helpful. Um, but this also applies to organizations. 
organizations. I mean, I've had so many organizations. I mean, I just had this conversation the other day, Jeff. I was speaking to a group of about you know, 2,000, 2,500 people in Boston the other day. And uh, you know, a gentleman said, my organization is so stuck and nobody knows it. You know, nobody knows that we're stuck and they're, you know, we're, we're basically protecting the ground we've taken mm-hmm. because we're so afraid to try something new. And I thought, wow, that is you know, really sad. And it's also very profound at the same time because it's so easy for us to slip into groupthink um, within organizations. So we have to be careful to weed out these limiting narratives and have the courage to confront them and continue moving forward in the face of them. Well, speaking of which, I could think of a few things I'd like to weed out of my life, not the least of which is interest rates I've paid in the past on things like uh, my mortgage and student loans. And if that's where you find yourself, I want to make sure you know that the Read to Lead podcast is being brought to you by a company called called SoFi. They're a leading marketplace lender and they offer uh, student loan refinancing, mortgages and personal loans for busy professionals. Now, if you're carrying high student loan balances, they could save you thousands when you refinance and consolidate your federal and private loans at a lower rate. SoFi borrowers on average save about $14,000 over the life of their loans. Now, in addition to that, SoFi members benefit from unemployment protection. Should you lose your job, SoFi pauses your payment and provides access to a career services team for personalized career planning and job search assistance. Now, to check out a full list of products and benefits, you can visit SOFI.com slash Read to Lead. That's a special page on their website they've set up just for you. In fact, as a listener to this show, you're eligible for a special $200 welcome bonus when you refinance your loans with SoFi. Just go to SOFI.com slash Read to Lead for this special offer. And all loans, by the way, are made by SoFi Lending Core, NMLS number 1121636, and CFL license number 6054612. Well, Chapter 3. Three gets into uh, what Todd calls the aspiration gap. I love the quote from from Steve Martin at the beginning uh, from his book Born Standing Up. And, and side note, if you haven't read that book, I encourage you to get the audio version and let Steve tell you the story because it's it's really compelling when the when uh, just to hear him share it. I uh, I just thought that was great. Uh, the quote says, "I want to share here real quick, Todd. I was seeking yeah. comic originality, and fame fell on me as a byproduct. The course was more plotting than heroic." I did not strive valiantly against doubters, but took incremental steps studded with a few intuitive leaps. So what is the aspiration gap? And then we'll get into these uh, four phases of growth that you talk about. So I began that chapter with a quote from, and many people probably have heard this quote, but uh, from Ira Glass of This American Life. And he was talking about the difficulty of being a creative person and wanting to make something new. And the problem is that you have taste. You know, the problem is that you see what other people are doing and you know what's good and you know what you want, what you aspire to create, but you don't have the skills yet to be able to do that. And so many people give up because they become frustrated that they cannot achieve the level of excellence that they want to achieve with their work because they're they don't have the physical capability of doing that yet. Maybe they're, they have raw talent, but they can't bring that talent um, to bear in the way they want. And so I call, I, I've, for, for many years, I've dubbed this what I call the aspiration gap, right? Which is the gap between where you are and where you want to be in terms of your voice or your expression. And 
you know, many people think that, well, the way you close that gap is just go out and be yourself and just, you know, do what you want to do and, uh, you know, apply your talent and you will eventually get there. And that's certainly one path. And there are unicorns who just come out (laughs) of, you know, the womb able to create brilliant bodies of work. But there's also kind of a process that many artists and managers and leaders and others go through in order to close that aspiration gap. Um, but that, that gap that exists can be, you know, we talked about narratives that gap can be paralyzing mm-hmm. as well. You know, it can cause us to give up far too soon if we're not careful. So the four phases I hinted at discovery, emulation, divergence, and, and crisis. I want to try to dig into each one of these uh, while we still have time. Share about the discovery phase. That one sounds sort of obvious. What, yeah. what, are, what are some questions we might ask ourselves during that phase? So discovery phase is when you have a new idea, you have a new insight, you have a new direction that you might want to go with your work. Maybe you discover the work of somebody else uh, who is doing something you aspire to do and you think, oh, so let's say you want to learn how to play guitar, right? Because this is kind of a common thing, especially among you know middle-aged guys, not that you know either <laughs> one of us is, you know, but yeah, I've been playing guitar for many, many years. And, uh, you know, when I first learned how to play guitar, you know, it's kind of this distinct thing you go through. You, you hear, you know, Eric Clapton playing on the radio or something you think, oh, I could do that. Right. Um, and so the first thing you do is you go out and you buy a $3,500 guitar and it sits in the closet for six months. You know, that's good. But the important thing is you've had an inkling, you've had an idea, uh, you've, you've seen something that's inspired a desire to grow. And that's what discovery phase is all about. Uh, but at some point, if you want to continue growing, Jeff, you can't just stay in discovery phase. You know, a lot of people have ideas and they have inklings, but they never do anything with it. You have to move on to the next phase of growth, which is what I call emulation phase. And emulation phase is when you start to emulate other people who are already doing that very well. And so, uh, you know, in my last book in Die Empty, I talked about uh, Jad Abumrad, and he uh, he's the, the uh, one of the co-hosts of Radio Lab, and he talked about as he was developing his authentic voice uh, with Radio Lab and with this amazing radio show that he does. You know, he started off you know imitating Terry Gross or imitating Ira Glass or imitating all these other people and trying to develop his own kind of unique style. And and artists, musicians, everybody who wants to develop a unique style goes through this period of emulating people around. Them as they're building their platform. My son is learning guitar right now. And so he, my, my 12 year old son loves the Beatles. He loves the kinks. He loves, you know, the Rolling Stones. I mean, he loves these great sixties bands. Right. Um, and so he's learning by emulating their guitar style and by, you know, so that's why you, when you walk by guitar center, you hear, Duh. right these are people who are emulating other people they're annoyingly emulating but they're emulating other people in order to grow but at some point if we want to continue to develop our authentic unique voice we have to move beyond emulation we build a platform through emulation a basic set of skills that we need and that's great But at some point, we have to move on to what I call divergence phase. And divergence phase is when we begin to sail perpendicular to the shoreline. We use that platform that we've developed, but we start paying attention to our intuitive hunches. We start taking little strategic risks with our work. So for a guitarist, this means things like starting to to experiment with new kinds of riffs or licks and and taking some risks with our work. And that means we're going to fall flat on our face, right? (laughs) At some point, we're going to do something really stupid. It's going to sound terrible. But that's how we begin to diverge 
diverge and find our own style. Nobody comes out of the womb ripping off Jimi Hendrix licks. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> happen. You know, you develop that over the course of time, the ability to, to play like that. Um, some people, though, Jeff, never move beyond emulation because emulation can get us close enough. It can get mm. us to the point where we get the 80 for the 20 in our effort, yeah. you know, but but we're stuck in cover band mode, right? Whether that's <laughs> emulating our managers or emulating what works with other organizations or whatever, we're stuck in emulation. We're not going to move on and develop a unique, compelling stance in the marketplace if we don't diverge. And then finally, we get to a point that I call crisis. And crisis is the point at which we start to realize, you know what? I have carved out a unique niche. I'm doing my own thing. I've diverged. I'm creating unique value, but... I'm deeply dissatisfied with where I am. Mm. Everybody else is looking at what I'm doing saying, hey, it's great. You're doing great. Everything is fine. We love the value you're creating. But deep down, I know that I'm settling in. I know that I've started to stagnate creatively. And this is what we talked about before with protecting the ground we've taken versus moving beyond versus doing something new. At crisis phase, we have two distinct decisions we can make. We can either go back to discovery phase, which means look for some new skills, new inspiration, new things that we can apply to our work, to our skill set, and, and go back through these phases again, emulate, and then diverge and apply these things to our existing skill set. Or we can stay where we are and start down the backside of the, of the curve, backside of the mountain, because if we're not growing, we're dying. And this is what happens to a lot of people in crisis phase. They, they get scared. There's always going to be a season of incompetence whenever you continue up the curve, whenever you start to do something new. There's always a gap of incompetence. And the reason some people never continue growing, Jeff, is because they don't want to look incompetent. They don't want to seem like they don't know what they're doing. So they don't want to try new things. But that's exactly how we continue growing in our life and in our work. So those four phases, discovery, emulation, divergence, crisis, we're going to go through those many, many, many times over the course of our life and our career and in building our body of work. But the key is to continue pushing up the curve and not allowing yourself to stagnate when you get to emulation phase or when you get to crisis phase yeah podcasters aren't guilty of emulation at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and you know it's it's funny because emulation can be a, a okay so i'm gonna get on my soapbox for a minute right <laughs> yeah. emulation can get you marketplace success mm. in the short run emulation can earn you immediate rewards so if your goal in starting a podcast is i just want to put whatever content out there i can so that i can monetize it right? Mm. Okay. Emulate. That's fine. Just copy other people, but don't expect people to care about what you're doing in five years, right. you know, because you're <laughs> going to be just like a thousand other people out mm. there. Nobody's going to care about your body of work. So if your goal is just to put something out there that you can make a little money on in the short run, that's fine, but you're going to be quickly forgotten. If you want to do something of substance, you have to base it on what you care about. It has to be rooted in who you are um, and, and not just like everybody else out there. And that's one of the issues I have with with, you know, sort of what's going on. Anytime there's kind of a land rush you know, or a gold rush, uh, you know, everybody sweeps in. And I mean, you and I have been doing this for a very long time. I've been doing it for 10 years and you've been doing it for something like 10 years. Um, you know, the, any, anytime you start doing, you know, anytime there's kind of a gold rush, like there's been in podcasting, everybody yeah. comes in and starts, you know, jumping on that land and starts, you know, developing their claim. And that's fine. That's great. I love it. I love what's happening. But I think the, the sort of downside of that is that everybody just wants the gold, but they don't want to be a part of creating the value. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's a real problem. The section on this area of growth called crisis that we just talked about is another place where I almost cursed at you in the margins of the book. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, gosh, I, I feel like we've just scratched the surface here, Todd. I want to uh, move on to some questions not directly related to the book. But before I do that, is there anything else you want to make sure we know? For example, we haven't even talked about applying all this that you go into in, in, in part three. Yeah, the most important thing is that we have to develop a, a set of daily practices that continue to help us to grow in our life and in our work. And this is this is a real, you know, a, a real problem and challenge because we want our voice just to be second nature. We want it to be something we do without thinking. Um, but the reality is voices, again, it's, it's your expression through a medium to achieve an impact. And in order to have all three of those things working together, you have to have a set of daily practices that keeps you moving in the right direction. You have to have other people around you that keep you aligned, keep you inspired, keep you focused. If you don't have those things in your life, it's really easy to veer off course. So it's not about the one-time effort. It's not about the big initiative. It's about daily measured strategic progress toward your objectives. And over time, those are the people who build substantive bodies of work. Well, I've been fortunate enough, Todd, uh, the last couple of years to do my share of, of interviews on other people's podcasts. And as you might imagine, just about every time I get asked, you know, what books am I reading? What books do I recommend? And, and in virtually every interview, every opportunity, I mention Die Empty. You know, I'm a huge oh, thank fan you. of that. And, and if you want to go check that out, by the way, episode 17 of the Read to Lead podcast, uh, where, where Todd and I talk about his last book, Loving the new book, and uh, I just want to ask you if you can share with us a couple of books that, that you're currently reading or maybe have recently read that have had an impact on you these last few years and, and maybe share why or, or how they've impacted you as they have. Yeah. So, I'll, I mean, I'll share a couple of books that I, I'm reading right now that are, um, they've been influential on me. Uh, I'm, I'm right now I'm almost through, uh, Titan, which is the mm. biography of, uh, John D Rockefeller. Yeah. And I've been reading this book very, very slowly over the course of about a month. I did a podcast recently about kind of the four ways to treat a book. Um, <laughs> and, and this is one of my, my books where I'm really studying it, um, heavily because it really has been influential on me. Not, not because, necessarily I, you know, hold John D. Rockefeller up as somebody to, to emulate necessarily. I mean, that's not really what I'm, I'm going at here, but just because you see so many things in his life where he had to confront challenges and where he had to make, you know, sort of moral decisions about where he was going to lead um, the industry. And it's, it's really difficult not to look at the life of somebody like John Rockefeller and, and think, wow, this guy had probably as much or more influence on um, our, our, our country and really our world than anybody in the marketplace over the last several hundred years, you know? And so, um, I just, I've been finding that very, very interesting. And he said something in the book, there's a quote in the book and I'm going to get it wrong, <laughs> but, um, I'm going to give you the, the essence of it, which is it's funny how much you can accomplish if you go along in a steady measured pace, never hustling, uh, in your life and you're working, you know, there's so much emphasis on hustle, hustle. I got to hustle. I got to be up at five in the morning and I got to go to bed at 12 at night and I got to, you know, I have to hustle all the time. And I think we start to see diminishing returns over, over the course of time. I think instead, if we approach our work with diligence and urgency, which is kind of how I define hustle, meaning every single day, are you making are you making progress on the things that matter to you every single day? Not, are you frantically running all the time, but are you, and, and I think another question, I had a conversation with John Acuff about this as well um, recently on my podcast. Um, you know, hustle doesn't just mean your work. I mean, are you hustling with your family? Are you hustling mm -hmm. in all areas, are you being diligent and urgent? Um, and, and you see that in the life of John Rockefeller, where he, after a period of time started, you know, 
spending more time at home, spending time with his family and, and really, you know, building into them as much as he was, you know, building into to standard oil. And so anyway, I just, I've found that book really, really, uh, substantive and, and valuable to me as I'm, I'm sort of looking at the life of somebody who has had tremendous impact. And, um, you know, again, there are also very sort of, we could call them unsavory aspects to his legacy. <laughs> uh, but you know, but I, I just think it's really interesting. Anytime somebody has that kind of impact, you can, there's always something to learn from them. Uh, and then I'll just, I mean, I'll mention only because it, it, you know, is, is right here at the top of my stack and I read it and really enjoyed it, um, is do over by John Acuff. Yeah. Um, I think anybody who, I mean, John, his, his writing style is just so, um, it's so approachable. He's, it's so fun to read this <laughs> book. And I mean, there are a lot of things in there that are you know, similar to, to other things he's written or things that you, you'll find elsewhere, but he really has created uh, a very comprehensive guide to building a career that matters and, and doing work that matters. And uh, it really reframed my perspective on a couple of things. So I would really recommend that book as well for anybody who's, who's looking for something. I love the do-over matrix. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I know you do a fair amount of, of public speaking. Uh, you've done a TED talk. Uh, and, and one of the things I love to ask of, of, of guests who have, who have done their fair amount is to share some tips for delivering what is in your mind an impactful and, and memorable public talk. What goes into your talks that make them impactful and memorable? Oh, this is a great question. Uh, <laughs> it, it is raw passion mm. for what I'm doing. And, you know, I, before every talk, I mean, I just, as I mentioned, I spoke to a group of, of 2,500 people, uh, in Boston a couple of days ago, I'm going to speak to a group of a couple thousand here in about a day. I'm mm. hopping on an airplane to go fly. I'm doing a ton of talks these days, 40 to 50 a year. And before I speak in front of any group, I sit there in the room or I sit there backstage and I breathe in and out. And I tell myself, just be present and be yourself, mm. be present and be yourself. Cause it's so easy when you're in front of people to start positioning, to start yeah. projecting, or honestly, when you're doing it as much as I'm doing it, this, to go into autopilot and not be present, but to just kind of work through your talk and, Oh, here's the <laughs> moment when they laugh. And here's the moment when I deliver the you know, punch in the gut and here's the, you know, um, be present and be yourself. And so personally, um, I really tried to deliver a very transparent level of passion in what I do. Uh, I, I spoke at an event for a company about a year ago and I, I followed the guy who teaches people how to speak publicly, how to be really great as a public speaker. And I thought, okay, I'm going to come up now after him and do everything that he told them not to do. Right. Which is kind of funny. But I, I, afterward he came up to me and said, Hey, I would love to hear from you. What am I doing? What do you think I should do? How should I tweak what I'm doing to make it more effective? And he said, you know, there are a lot of technical things you're doing wrong. And I think, Oh, great. Here we go. You know? Mm -hmm. And he said, but honestly, I wouldn't change what you did because I think by tweaking and paying too much attention to the technical things, you're going to lose some of that raw passion that really makes your talk impactful. Mm -hmm. So he said, just keep delivering passion and, and, you know, to put it in, you know, sort of the vernacular of the book of, of louder than words, uh, you know, my work is rooted in identity. I have a, a strong sense of who I am and the through line for my work. Um, I have a vision for where I want to lead the audience. Um, and I think that comes across because I'm very specifically pointing my finger in people's chests and saying, here is what's important. Here's where I want to lead you. And I think that over the course of time, I've mastered the ability to deliver those ideas in a way that, that connects and resonates. And so all three of those things, I think, work together. Um, so I would, I would encourage people with those words that I tell myself, when you're delivering a, 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 any kind of public speaking uh, um, uh, engagement, 
be present and be yourself and know the impact that you want to have. Know why you're there, not the content, but know why you're really there, why you're really giving the talk. And I think you'll be successful. Well, Todd, it's a delight to talk to you again. Love every one of your books, Accidental Creative, Die Empty, and Louder Than Words. I highly recommend all of them. Thank you for taking time out to to be with us today. It's a true honor and pleasure. Thank you, Jeff. And thanks for the great value that you continue to provide to, to all of us who are fans of your show. Really appreciate it. Again, for more on those bonuses that Todd is offering when you pre-order the book before Tuesday, August 11th, 2015, go to com slash RTL or simply go to the show notes page for today's episode, readtoleadpodcast.com slash 093. That's also where you'll find links to many of the resources that Todd and I talked about today, among them the books he recommended. You never get enough of those. <laughs> Love to have you join our private Facebook group. If you're in the United States, just text the phrase read to lead, all one word, to 33444. Outside the U.S., just visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash group. Your ratings and reviews are very much appreciated. A couple recent ones come in from iTunes where Luke Crane says the show is right on target with his five-star rating and review. And NWDY46 calls it well done. Give the show your rating and review right now when you visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes or readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher, if that happens to be your app of choice. And be sure to share the show with your friends. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. She hates my mama. She hates my daddy too. She loves to tell me she hates the things I do. She loves to lie beside me almost every night. Son, she's no lady. She's my wife.